I'm Ryan Nidell, host of 15 Minutes to Freedom, your daily action guide to getting shit done. Today in the studio, I have a very special guest, one of the lead finance directors for the shit, Sonic Automotive Group. Yeah, wow. Yeah, look at that. My college roommate, one of my closest friends, TJ Floyd. Thank you very much, Ryan. That's a hell of an intro. <laughs> hey, it is, it is what it is. So <laughs> what's wild about this entire episode is TJ came to Columbus just kind of on a whim. It's during Hurricane Florence. It doesn't have any effect with him in Charlotte, but he's here nonetheless. Came in to surprise his mom. One thing leads to another. He's staying with Lindsay and I. And in that, like I'm literally meditating yesterday morning, and it comes to me, like, have this guy on the show. So I say that to TJ. He's like, all right, and I can see a little trepidation. Like, I know TJ well. And he, he drops it on me either last night or today at the gym. I don't remember what time. That he's It was this morning walking to the gym that he is not – Jay-Z, like he's not one take, like smooth, ready to go. Definitely not one take. <laughs> no, no, but he's going to be now because we don't edit this shit. So this is this is just a, a real interview of what I thought would be good to share some of the background, like of just all the dumbass things we did together, some of the funny stories, and really how we came into each other's lives. So I've shared about TJ on other episodes before, and he was my college roommate the second half of my freshman year at Cincinnati. I say the second half because I had two French roommates my first half of the year. I, at that point, was dating a girl from my hometown and was literally driving back and forth every weekend. Like, I didn't spend one weekend at Cincinnati the first half of the year. Like, her and I broke up at some point around Thanksgiving and different story for a different episode. Nonetheless, TJ sees me walking through the halls as I was starting to go to the gym more often. And I had, I was, I went to Lexington Senior High School and I had a, a cutoff, like a quintessential. I was called douchebag cutoff t-shirt, like a normal t-shirt that I cut these big ass, I cut the sleeves off of, and it was like literally cut down to my belly button on the sides, like ridiculous, but it was a Lexington Minuteman high school or maybe even JV football shirt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it probably had about an inch of fabric holding the uh, bottom half together, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I was not necessarily the, you know, the 285 pound guy that I eventually grew into. I was, as TJ would say. I uh, probably look like a white Gumby. A white, a white Gumby, I will take that. So <laughs> what happens is TJ sees me wearing this shirt, and TJ was from a rival school. Now, not like an intense rivalry. Like he, Admittedly, the high school that he went to, their football team was superior to our school. I mean, they were almost superior in every athletic event, period, like just across the board. Marion Harding, where TJ went, was rivals with Mansfield Senior, and all this stuff doesn't really much matter to you, but Mansfield Senior was this massive D1 school, as was Marion. Like you guys were powerhouses. Lexington was a, a, I'll just call it what it is, a group of like preppy white kids that, you know, we were barely struggling to be a D2 school. Different different caliber of athletes playing at these schools. And so he sees me in the shirt, and eventually, I don't know if it was RA or if it was, was it Katie? They were, yeah, it was Katie. So I'll let TJ explain Katie, but <laughs> actually I'll just let you explain. Who is Katie? Katie is one of our mutual friends uh, that... Uh, I think we both met our first uh, our first half of the year there, and uh, for whatever reason, we never really uh, we never got introduced that first half of the year. But yeah, uh, Katie was kind of the the person who she was older than all of us, so she uh, kind of blended everybody together, all, all the different uh, rooms because we are, we were a co-ed floor. Uh, by room, so she kind of brought everybody together. She was that person. Yeah. Now, Katie again was 
TJ knew Katie in a different capacity than I knew Katie. And take that for what it's worth, being in college and what that could mean. Just the fact, again, I was going home. Literally, Friday my class, I think, would end at 2 o'clock, and I was burning gas by 2.30, like literally driving back to Mansfield every weekend. And so I didn't have that social time, really. Like I looked at college at least the first half of my freshman year as I was going to another job and then driving home to see, at that point, my girlfriend and work my job there. And so Katie and I came across each other in some capacity. don't even remember what it was, but Katie is this dark-haired, dark-complected, kind of Italian-looking woman that was, I think, from Toledo, Finley. Uh, Cleveland area. Cleveland. Very Italian-looking. <laughs> yeah, just super Italian, and she's super gregarious and outgoing. And so she introduces TJ and I in some capacity, but I don't think that was really a for- formal introduction until we came back from Christmas vacation, right. right? Right. And in that time, like, I'm in my dorm, so I have a quad, and in my quad I had had two French roommates who literally we didn't speak hardly at all. Like, it just wasn't. Language barrier, I wasn't around, all types of stuff. So I didn't know they weren't coming back second semester. It's like it's week one passes and there's nobody there, and week two's going on, there's nobody there. And I talked to the RA and there's nobody scheduled to come in my room. At that point, somewhere pretty close to that, Katie introduces TJ and I. And TJ, if I remember, you didn't have a good relationship with your roommate, right? No, not at all. So I had three roommates, uh, one of which was never there. Uh, the other two were basically the typical, you know, stoner roommates where they would smoke out, you know, the whole entire floor. So every, every day I'd, I'd come up, that's kind of how me and Katie got so close because I would go to her room before I would go to my room because it was just a bad situation and I just couldn't take it anymore. So, um, I was talking to Katie about, you know, how, I needed to get out of this this messed up situation and, and trying to figure out who I should who I should uh, uh, go stay with. And she was like, "Oh, you should go and and talk to Ryan. Ryan, he's a really nice guy. He's really great." I was like, "The goofy guy with the Lexington shirt. It looks like a white Gumby." And I was like, "Yeah, I, I don't I don't know. I, you know, I, I'll, I'll go I'll go talk to him." So we I go you know knock on his door. And say, hey, I heard, you know, Katie told me that you have uh, a whole half of your room that's available. Want to see if, you know, I can move in with you. That way I don't end up somewhere I don't want to be. Uh, and, of course, Ryan said, yeah. And I, we went to or I went to the uh, uh, housing department and they okayed my, my uh, transfer or, or my move. And we moved in together. So. Yeah, and in, in that time, what a change in my life is I still wasn't back with now, many ex-girlfriends removed, but I wasn't back with, her name was Molly. Like We broke up before or right around Thanksgiving, my freshman year of college, and we didn't rekindle our relationship until really the end of my freshman year. So I had this whole time period where I feel very like excluded from everything. I hadn't built any social circle in Cincinnati. I had some friends that were in uh, you know ATO fraternity. I had one or two friends from high school that went there, but I was never around on the weekends. I didn't have anything. So I'm in this room isolated from everybody. And then TJ knocks on the door, and I know, I'll just call it what it is, I know this motherfucker is a rival of mine from high school, and like that's what I'm basing my decisions off of. It's like, all right, I'm lonely, I'm bored, he looks all right, like he's athletic and shit, I know he played football, I see him in his damn Marion Harding gear, like sure, let's see what happens. It ended up being probably one of the best decisions I made, let me rephrase that, it was the best decision I made in my college career by far, because you know, obviously our friendship is now, it's crazy, 15 years removed. Yeah. Like we only, I only know that because we laughingly, like I saw on Instagram, 50 cents 
what, Get Rich or Die yeah. Trying album had its 15-year <laughs> anniversary this week. And in that, like, I used to have this massive sound system. Like, whatever the most bass you could buy in a sound system that was portable, I had inside of our little quad. And I would, like, when that album came out, it was just on repeat yeah. all the time. As soon as you got on the fifth floor, if any of us were in the room, all you heard was, bah, 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 bah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just nonstop. <laughs> and so what happened is, like, TJ started bringing out this outgoing part of me. Like, sure, I was very comfortable around the people that I knew. Like, I would clown around and joke around and have a good time. But because I had never built that circle, like, TJ was the first new stimulus in my environment. I didn't have anybody else. And so, so from that... All of a sudden, we started doing a bunch of just <laughs> dumbass things. Like, I, I can't really, I'll just, I mean, it just is what it is, yeah. right? I mean, right. It, you start with your number one dumbass story. Oh, wow. From, from you and I. So, all, all bets are off to like, <laughs> well, you say anything you want to. Like, there's, there's no script to this. All right. So, I remember one night we had, I had gone with Ryan back to uh, uh, Lexington. We had spent the weekend up there and uh, went to one of his friends' house. And, you know, it's typical, you know, upper class uh, families. One of the uh, people that we went to go, whose house we went to, uh, their parents were, I guess, distributors of alcohol. So we probably stole about 20 bottles of like the little uh, travel size bottles of alcohol. Stole, stole is such borrowed. an aggressive. Yeah, well, I mean, we we took it on loan basically. Yeah, yeah, we we basically borrowed it. Yeah, you know, we we actually were testing it out to make sure that it was uh, fit for human consumption. Uh, and and we, TJ and I were both 21 our freshman year of college exactly. as well. We were late bloomers in the high school. So the entire time we were there, we were 21. Absolutely, that's right. And we had permits to have alcohol in the dorms. Uh, <laughs> So we decided that we should try every single bottle because we've never had this much alcohol at one time. So I remember getting down to the tequila and it was over. Uh, we had, uh, we had uh, beer goggles, which were these uh, free glasses that we got on campus, and our beer hats, which were some big titty girls' bras that we had stolen and uh, put up in our dorm room as decoration. And they actually went with the decor. Um, but we uh, decided to put those on, and not only put those on, but also strip down to our boxers and put them into uh, man thongs. And we went from room to room to floor to floor to everybody we knew. And there are pictures somewhere, which I would, I would bet that Katie probably still has them. Uh, I would love to see those. Uh, but, yeah, that was probably the craziest thing that I think we've ever done. <laughs> it, it's amazing, too, because as I sit here, TJ has all these vivid memories of this time. And I feel like I must have been drinking way more aggressively than I realized because all this time period becomes a little blurry. Like when he shares a story – I can eventually recall pieces and parts of it, and I know TJ is certainly not lying about any of it because it's all very relevant. But like the, I remember a time where, what was happening, we, University of Cincinnati's dorms in Daniel Hall where we where we lived, all the floors were tile. Like not only in our dorm but like the halls, everything was tile. So we eventually got the bright idea to take our rolling chairs, like our desk chairs, which we borrowed from. The in offices. <laughs> of course, of course, from, from the nice places we're not supposed to go. We took these rolling chairs that nobody else had, and we strapped ourselves to the chairs, and we would roll 
after I mean, we drink in our room by ourselves, really like degenerates. Then we hop in these chairs and we would roll around the dorm, but not just like on our floor. Like I think Daniel's was 13 or 14 floors. Yeah. <laughs> we would hop on the elevator. We'd hop and there was the girls that we were friends with were up on which floor? The like 11th floor. 11th, 12th, 12, 12, something, something like that. Something like that. So we would take our chairs on the elevator and then you could get a running start from the elevator and smack the chairs into the door. And all you'd hear is these wheels come roaring down the hallway. <laughs> And this is not like a, a Friday night ritual. This is probably a Tuesday at yeah. 6 p.m. Like it, our schedules were not uh, conducive to anybody else's <laughs> living, but we really didn't care. Like it was such a u- unique time. And same thing with those bra hats that I remember wearing. Like again, some of the girls that were there were friends of ours. It's not like we. So that's the other thing. As much as TJ tried during that time period, I was never promiscuous. Like right, I don't. I never hooked up with a chick at all my freshman year. And no, not at all. Even when it was, you know, very clear that it was right there in front of you. You know, you you've never, uh, you never did. I just I, I I turned it down. So it's almost like this running joke. And obviously, he used to make fun of me because I had like this mental block about the fact of how bad I wanted my ex girlfriend back. Like she was dating somebody else, and like. She would call, and it was like this crazy thing. Like he had this voice that he would make that was <laughs> acting like he was this girl, like acting like he was Molly, and he would make fun of me for how the conversations would go on the phone, like this back and forth. Because we had not only cell phones back then, but there was a dorm phone. Like so, if I wouldn't answer her phone calls, she'd call the dorm phone, and we and we had a voice recorder. Like it was back when there were actual like. What, messaging, answer machines. answering machines and so she would leave voicemails and then he would emulate the damn voicemails <laughs> and make fun of me I mean, it was really and like oh, i forgot about it yeah yeah we we had some some shenanigans and speaking of shenanigans i eventually transferred from cincinnati to my to university of miami mm-hmm. my friends from high school almost all of them went to miami of ohio and the girl that i ended up redating went to miami of ohio but in that, it was still during my, our freshman year that we drove up to Miami, which is about a 35, 40-minute drive northwest of University of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. Back roads, country roads. Drive up on a, I think it's a Friday, maybe, Friday or Saturday, doesn't really much matter, I suppose, for something that at Miami is called Ghetto Fest. Which is a very ironic name. In- <laughs> so I, I came from an okay upbringing. You know, I would have said upper middle class to maybe even upper class you know, predominantly white neighborhood and, and just everything about my life was until Cincinnati. And when I go to Miami, I feel like the bottom of the totem pole. Like it is pop Lacoste collar shirts. It is BMWs and Mercedes lining the streets. It are It is very wealthy, like heritage style wealth, white people. Really, like if you're not an athlete, like, and again, I guess we can call that racism in some capacity, but it's it's more factual. Like, if you weren't an athlete, what it is. yeah, it was predominantly white. So the fact they had something called Ghetto Fest, yeah. I'm pretty sure it has to be outlawed now with political correctness. Like, there's no way that still goes on. Uh, yeah. At least I hope not. But we drive off for that, and so we're freshmen. All my friends there are obviously freshmen. They're in a dorm on the, gosh, I guess it would be northeast side of campus. And we're doing what freshmen do in college. Like, we're, we're drinking and partying and have a good time. Right. I say partying, it's just drinking. There were no, none of us were really drug users right. in any capacity. But one thing leads to another, and I used to always carry around this damn pocket knife. And it was the sharpest knife that I've ever <laughs> seen in my whole entire life. 
<laughs> and my, my the, that was during, and gosh, I'm aging myself, but there was a, a time period in life where airsoft pellet guns had just made this massive like push in the marketplace where it wasn't a BB gun. It certainly was not a real gun. They shot these little plastic airsoft bullets, yeah. but they hurt. Like It wasn't like a fun thing to get hit by these airsoft <laughs> bullets. They could certainly pop out an eye. Like They were just what was available. So the guys from Miami all had these damn airsoft guns. Yeah. So we're up there. We're all drinking. And one thing leads to another, and TJ pulls this airsoft gun. Don't know if it was loaded or not. doesn't matter. I'll say it wasn't loaded. And he points it right, right at me like he's going to shoot me. And so I pull out my knife like, all right, let's do this. Now, we're not actively trying to hurt each other. Like, this is a couple of, of friends dicking around in some capacity. Like, we're being right. funny. With the influence of alcohol in there, yeah. Yeah, I mean, not thinking in our, in our right minds, but it's happening nonetheless. And one thing leads to another, and TJ goes to swipe, like, hit my knife out of my hand with the gun. Like, he's using right. it as a weapon. And at the same time, I go to strike him to knock the gun out of his hand with my knife. Yes. And instead of that happening, I end up slicing from his yeah. on his left hand, yeah, from his, his from his pointing finger all the way down to his pinky, really, like this deep gouge. And there's blood, like because he pulls his hand away after getting cut, and blood sprays from wall to wall on the ceiling in this little dorm, like a rainbow, <laughs> like a like a blood red rainbow. Right. And so we grab a washcloth or something like that, and like wrap it on his hand and holds it. Wait five or six minutes, and granted. We, our blood has to be closer to the consistency of water than motor oil by the amount of alcohol we've been drinking. Yes. And so what happens is we ask TJ to take off the, the Band-Aid, like take off the towel. And in taking off the towel, you can literally see the bone in his pointing finger. Like you, <laughs> and so the girls are, are freaking out, and I'm like, oh, shit, what am I going to do here? Like, what did I just do to my buddy? And so I, I take the magic sobriety pills that we had that nobody knew about, but we That's manufactured right. them, got incredibly sober instantaneously, and then hopped in the car and drove them to the hospital. Yes. Now, again, stone sober. I had been drinking all day, but it just changed, like just that quick. Again, I was 19. I'm 34 now. Some things that are a little bit different at this point in my life. Nonetheless, back then, we drive to this hospital, and it's, it's ghetto fest, which is this excuse for all these kids to get incessantly drunk, like – more intoxicated, yeah, more intoxicated than anybody should really ever get. Right. But we're there early because we were like, this was pregame. Like, we hadn't even made it out of. Yeah, we never even made it out the dorm. <laughs> no, no, we didn't. And so I'll, I'll let you take over the story from this point. So we walk in there and there's nobody in there. And, and we uh, check in and we're like, I need to get stitches, you know, whatever. And uh, the lady comes back and we're sitting there trying to be this as sober as possible. And we go back, the doctor's stitching us up. He's looking at us like, Jesus Christ, it's starting already. And as we're sitting there, we just see just people just start rolling in on gurneys and police officers with them. I'm like, oh, shit, it's about to go down. I was like, we got to get out of here as quick as possible. So uh, needless to say, we made it out without any tickets or uh, citations or any speaking to any officers uh, and made it back to the dorm. I still don't know how that all played out and how we got to that point, but we also drove back to Cincinnati that night. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so what had happened was obviously from the magic sobriety pills we took, plus right. the fact of you know TJ getting stitched up, plus the fact I think at that point the majority of the people that we were pre-gaming with were most likely already out. Already like out. We were gone for a couple hours. Got back and it's like, well, this is just boring now. Like, Let's just go home. So... 
from there we get that awkward ride of it's, it's not even really silence because that's not how TJ and I are obviously as you hear from the, this interview. Like we drive the forty five minutes back and it's got to be at this point midnight one two in the morning. Like it's certainly not light outside. Right. And this strip of road is I think it's route sixty three. Either that or 27. The route that we take from Cincinnati to Miami is a known route that is heavily patrolled by police officers. Right. So the whole time it's like cruise control set, two hands on the wheel, windows <laughs> cracked a little bit. Like this with stitches and band-aids on my man's hand. All from just making really poor decisions. Yeah. So I'll say pot calling the kettle black. If you're young and listening to this, I would encourage you not to drink excessively. And yes. certainly don't drink and drive. Like we are very fortunate to be here being able to tell these stories with all the travesties that go on in the world. Like, it's amazing how after 15 years of evolution, I would look back and say, don't do any of the shit that we did. Right. I mean, live and have a good time, party in your dorm, do whatever, but like, don't yeah. go quite as excessive as maybe we were able to go. Yeah, make wiser decisions. <laughs> yeah, because we, I mean, we had just had a bunch of times at Cincinnati where we were, like, what about the time where you were so we had another buddy of ours, Nick. Nick was from my high school, um, and and Nick was actually uh, the first one that a friend of his loosely had introduced me to anabolics. Like he was the guy that started that, at least opened that door for me of knowing how to you know go down that route. And I say that only based off the fact that Nick, myself, and TJ are hanging out in his dorm room, and it's again a weekday. It's certainly not a weekend. And we decided to go to eat a drink. Like Nick has somehow acquired a bottle of vodka or something along those lines, like a handle. It's not even a weekday. It's a weekday afternoon. <laughs> let's put the let's put the time frame. Let's, in let's here make too. sure it's right. right. All right, I, I get you. <laughs> and we have, I th- they were plastic cups, right? Yeah. Not no, like solo were, no, cups. No, they were the uh, the gas station big gulp cups. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So we have big golf cups, and we start out by, of course, wanting to be gentlemen and pouring equal drinks for all of us and trying different mixers on top because we're not experienced drinkers. So maybe you know it's vodka and Mountain Dew and vodka and grape soda and vodka and Gatorade. Like we're we're trying to figure out what our what our lane in our alley is. And so what ends up happening is TJ's the first one to break the seal. Like he's the first one that has to go to the bathroom. And I'll say that's because he was more in shape at that point. Whatever it is, he had to go to the bathroom and. The dumbass left his cup in front of us. Like, if I have to go to the bathroom and I'm drinking with my buddies, I'm taking the cup with me to the bathroom because I don't want there to be anything screwed up going on. But he trusted us for whatever his reason. <laughs> and so he leaves the cup there. So we would pop the lid off and pour more vodka in it every time he would leave. And, like, we're all sitting around drinking. And it's not supposed to be necessarily like we're going to get hammered tonight. It's just, you know, we're drinking because it's what we do. And then 20 minutes pass and he has to go back to the bathroom. And just to to urinate, like it's not like you're getting sick yet. No. But he goes to the bathroom, and so I'm like, look, we got this again. Pop the top off, dump it in. And by the time we get done with this little evolution that we're doing, <laughs> Nick and I are dying laughing, and the handle of vodka is gone, and Nick and I still have our first glasses. So to kind of put that balancing equation to it, like TJ probably had half to three quarters of a handle of vodka. Yeah. And certainly it was not expensive vodka. I mean, knowing us back then, it was probably... Yeah, it was Stoli's or something Yeah, like Romanov or whatever. The, something in a plastic container. <laughs> of course. Like that. Of course. But so Nick and I are sober enough that we decided we want to go get food. Like, we're, we're hungry. We had unlimited meal plan passes for the food hall, whatever it was called. And you you walked over with us, right? But I you did. didn't have but your ID. I didn't ID. have my ID on me. And so go ahead. You didn't have your ID. So I, I had this... Actually, the guy, if I remember correctly, which... 
my memory of that day is probably very uh, blurred. Um, but he let me in uh, and I ate, but I didn't have my key to get back in. And Ryan and, and uh, Nick were still in the, in the lunch hall, still eating. I had to sit outside and wait until I <laughs> until I've seen somebody who I knew would take me back in the dorm. So I get in the dorm, and again, I don't have my key. So I thought it would be a good idea to try to kick my door down. Uh, finally, some which some, was also my door. Yeah, it wasn't just your fucking door; it was also my door. <laughs> so I decided to kick our door down. Uh, didn't quite. I wasn't that strong, and these doors are actually pretty, uh, pretty sturdy. Um, but I ended up. I think Katie's the one that that stopped me, and I was in I think her room until Ryan came back up, and. Uh, the, finally he came in and unlocked the door and I decided to go and, and lay down but <laughs> so back in college I'm sure it it, Here we it went Here we way go. past way before college uh, Ryan used to like to pull his balls out and, and <laughs> just and catch people off guard so I, I gotta set this up so for whatever the reason you know we all have our own genetic abnormalities you know, different skin tones, different heights, different weights, different everything about us. And I realized my senior year of high school that my testicles, for whatever the reason, were abnormally large. Like there was just something that was different about that part of my body than everybody else that I saw. And so it was almost this humorous gag that I would pull, you know, and it didn't have to be in the presence of alcohol. And it was almost never really too much in the presence of women. It was more around guys for as strange as that is, that I would pull my balls out of my pants and like either pick up pencils off a table or try to put them on somebody like really ridiculous things. But nonetheless, this is what I was doing from time to time. And so TJ is essentially mad, drunk, <laughs> drunk, trying to pass out <laughs> on the opposite side of the wall. So we have a three quarter wall that divides this quad. So he's on his side, which is, you know, a little further into the dorm and I, I can hear him start to fall asleep and he's mumbling and all this stuff. So I go over and, and try to what I would call teabag him. I try, I try to put my balls on his head. And that's what us guys do. Let's just call it what it is. If you're listening, you're a guy and you went to college or you played any sort of sport and you tell me that this stuff didn't happen, you are lying. You might not have been the one that did it. That means you were the one that it was getting done to. Like we all did this stuff. And maybe it's just a justification, but nonetheless, c continue. Uh, so he tries to do this stuff and I, I absolutely lose it. Uh, it probably took three people to hold me back from beating his ass, but <laughs> needless to say, I didn't get teabagged that day. <laughs> he did not, and I did not get beat up either. We we somehow managed to navigate those waters, and he slept off the the handle of vodka that he drank by himself, and we still remained friends thereafter. And so, what's unique about TJ and I's friendship is it, you know, once I went to Miami, and as life progressed and carried on. We didn't have a falling out of any sort of reason that I can remember. It's just we just drifted apart. Yeah. Like there was certainly never anything that I was upset about. And I don't want to speak for you, but I don't think there was anything on your side. And we mm -hmm. just like took years and didn't speak. Yeah. Like TJ ended up, when did you have Quentin? I had Quentin my, so been my sophomore, or end of my, no, it'd be my third year there. So uh, the girl I'd been dating at, Cincinnati she got pregnant the end or the yeah the end of my second year uh so that whole summer we were dealing with that and, and uh, trying to make adjustments and uh the end of my the first 
quarter of my, I guess my junior year, you know, I became a dad. So I kind of had to grow up a whole lot uh, in a small period of time. So the, the uh, things that we were doing before and, and the uh, shenanigans that went on in my freshman year didn't carry on into, you know, my whole entire college career. You know, I had to become an adult and take care of a person. Uh, and you've done a phenomenal job. Like, it wasn't this thing of, you know, you look at the first two years or 18 months of two Jan and knew each other, and we were on this different path. Then, of course, we ended up being on, even during the rest of our college careers, but TJ went on this whole, you know, very adult, very, like, handled his business. Like, went to class, did the best he could with that, worked provided for his son and still does today. Like he's a very active father, like a really an incredible father. Like it's not a thing. I'm not saying it because you're sitting across from me. Like I, I truly mean it. Like you've between, you know, TJ lives down in South Carolina and his mom, Quentin's mother, TJ's son lives in just outside of DC. Yeah. Is that a good way to say it? Yep. And so from TJ taking Quentin literally for the past year, mm-hmm. maybe even longer, like stepping up to the plate, working a full-time job, being a single dad, like raising a son, like really has just been this incredible thing to watch from the outside of remembering the guy that we would drink and make a bunch of dumbass decisions together. You know, TJ, in all the beautiful things that are TJ, his ability to pick up women has always been strong. Just is. Like you, you the choices you had during our freshman year to, you had to choose to sleep alone versus choose to sleep with somebody. Like just call it's, it's not even. I mean, it's it, it, it's just real. Like that was what life, give or take, was. Yeah. And so, you know, you see this evolution happen. I can almost remember the phone call of like, "Man, I'm having a kid," and I thought he was messing with me. It's like, no, man, I'm serious. I'm having a kid. And I don't. Really, I don't even think I knew your girlfriend at that point. No. Because I had went from Cincinnati to Miami, and you mm-hmm. started dating her into your sophomore year. And so, like, fast forward, and we catch up, and. I have already at this point like been in and out of the automotive business. Like, I think we had like a seven-year hiatus, eight-year mm-hmm. hiatus between us, it's give or take, that. which yeah. is crazy. As I, as many of you know, went into the automotive field and ended up having some success there and came down to Columbus and ran some dealerships. And then TJ tells me he's what we call inside the business spinning paper for a Sonic store. Yeah. So he's a finance manager at that point, not a director, mm-hmm. inside of one of their bigger Ford stores in Carolina. And it's like this whole shift of remembering all these crazy stories like this whole different way that we live to now it's like man we we're such kindred spirits to think so much the same way that we end up being in the same career field doing much of the same things he has a son that i don't have i've got different business stuff that he doesn't have but it's like this we start catching up and there's it almost feels like there's no lapse in time right Right. it's like we never there was never any time where we didn't talk it was you know just very you know, very much where, you know, people say that we felt like we just picked right back up. Yeah. It's like, it never got dropped. Yeah. Like the ball never hit the ground. Oh, absolutely. And you have, I think the the time I remember seeing you, I was down in South Carolina for an ACN convention with the custom clothing company. Yeah. And you and I got together for like a late dinner. Cause for those of you that don't know the car business, especially as a finance manager, TJ is pretty much responsible for being there first and also then gets the privilege of leaving last because yes. <laughs> when you want to go in and buy a car just because the dealership closes at eight Doesn't and you leave at eight. yeah you say you want to sign up at 7 30 the finance manager has to stay with you to do that and it's not just for that sales guy it's for every sales guy right. and so 
it's a really tough position to be in, but it's rewarding, obviously. Like TJ's excelled at that to the point of now being a finance director. So what that means for, again, those of you that don't know this industry, is every deal that anybody signs up eventually has to go through him to make sure the pieces and parts are in line. And he's negotiating with banks and is really a, a vital part of the organization. Like nothing gets funded right. without making sure that it goes through his hands and the dealership can keep running. Right. And so selfishly, I've been trying to get TJ back to Columbus. Like, okay, we he comes to our wedding. Like, why were you here? You were here prior to our wedding. I was in, was what, April? No. We got married in May. May, so but I... You were here January, February, something like that? There was some reason. Um, no, I was up here for, for spring break. So my son had spring break. Uh, and... Um, it was also, I think, my nephew's birthday. So we were up here and um, doing that. And, on, and then uh, Ryan was here, and I, I contacted him and, hey, you want to have dinner? You know, and, and this would be the first time I had a chance to meet Lindsay also. So, so again, I've been with Lindsay four and a half years. Yeah. At, well, at that point, four years. Right. And we've seen each other once or twice in that four right. years down in South Carolina. Right, and then here, here you're back, and wasn't it too that your mom was seeing her dad for the was that yeah. during that time too? Yeah, that's that's what it was. So, um, for those of you who have never done Ancestry.com, it's actually pretty dope. Uh, I, I recommend it. No, it's not a plug for Ancestry.com, but it's it is a plug for knowing who you are and what makes you, and and you'd be amazed what you come up with. So I I, I had gotten on here uh, a couple years ago, mostly to find connections to my biological dad because you know I, I grew up without my real you know my blood father in my life but I was lucky enough to have an amazing uh, man to fill that role in my sister's father uh, but uh, I was trying to figure out some things with that and kind of work through some uh, different demons with that uh, that I was dealing with and ended up finding a uh, lady who was also looking for her father's father. Uh, this lady uh, had shared with me that, you know, my profile had pinged hers higher than anybody else's. And I, I really don't get on it very often. So I got on it. And sure enough, uh, uh, this gentleman was the top of the list. So uh, I start talking to her more and more and start figuring out why this connection is what it is. And she asked, you know, do you have any family members in Lima, Ohio? So I had reached out to my mom and uh, asked her, you know, hey, do you have any family members in, in Lima? Uh, and she told me that, you know, she doesn't think so, but she was always told that her biological dad, again, she doesn't know her biological dad. Uh, crazy cycle that, that continues to happen. But uh, she, she never knew her biological dad, but she was told that he was from Lima, Ohio. So I share this with this lady and get her in contact with my mom and they start talking and start finding different connections and, and more uh, commonalities between the two and um, actually see a picture of her dad. And there's a, there's a real strong family resemblance. Don't know what it is, but I see it. So I, I convinced my mom into doing a DNA test. So um, fast forward, she gets the test back and I look at it and this is the first time I've seen somebody higher than the person before. So it actually will show you your parent. And I immediately contact her. I was like, well, what does your say? 
And sure enough, this person that had contacted me, her dad, was showing up as her parent. So that's how all that kind of came into play, where uh, my mom kind of found her biological father through Ancestry.com. It's pretty nuts. Uh, but we were up there to celebrate his birthday and, and meet him for the first time, meet the family. Uh, and I, I was able to, to meet with Ryan and, uh, and, uh, and Lindsay and Ryan talked me into, uh, coming out to California and because I was actually, I actually was going to tell him that I wasn't going to make it. I was like, you know, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, the relationship I was in, uh, earlier this year was kind of, uh, crumbling and falling apart. You know, just not going to make it, man. I, I, I appreciate the offer, but, uh, and I love you guys, but, you know, tell me where the gift registry's at. Yeah, and I, I want to pause this part for just a second. What I think is so impactful for you to, you, the listener, to understand is TJ understood and became aware of a pattern that had existed through generations of his family. And that pattern, although we kind of skipped right through it, was the absence of a father figure a genetic father figure in his mother's life and then in his life. And sure, there were other pieces and parts that play into that, but he has decided to then break that cycle. Like, for all intents and purposes, he had the ability to say, okay, I had a kid, I had him in college, I'll just pay child support, like, right. I'm going to go my own path, like, this isn't right. But he stopped that. Right. Like, it's, a, it's the awareness that we all are capable of that can ch- create monumental shifts in generations. Where it might not, certainly I think if TJ was being honest, having a child going into your junior year of high school, or junior year of college, and then all the way up till now, it's not been the easiest thing. Like, oh, no. in, in hindsight, it was like, man, I would have a shitload more money and have a lot more experiences had I not have a kid. Yeah, you know, just to give you an idea, there was a time where in order for me to afford to have, you know, pay for my son's diapers and food and things like that. I was doctoring up spaghetti noodles and uh, olive oil. So just put some salt and pepper on it and some olive oil and and some oregano and you have a meal. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, the struggle was real, but it was worth it. It was definitely worth it. Yeah, and I just think that's such a thing that it's easy to point at all the dads that aren't doing stuff the right way. Because, like, right. and don't get me wrong, I know there's a lot of them. There's a lot of dads out there that just take the easier path, like, Maybe they don't pay child support. Maybe they skip out in total. Maybe they, like there's all these other stories and all these reasons, but there's also a, like a large number of guys that don't do that, that like give up their 20s or give up. And sure, you say give up like it was a choice that TJ made to have unprotected sex. Like, sure, we can go down all that entire path. But at the end of the day, they made a choice to still bring a life into the world, and they made a choice, him and his child's mother, to then care for Quentin and raise Quentin to the best of their ability and forego a lot of things they would have organically liked to do. And to the fact now that, you know, TJ does well for himself. And Quentin has, from the outside at least, everything that he could really want or desire. Like, you know, probably more so than you and I had. Oh, yeah. You know, he probably wants a couple more uh, uh, PS4 games and things like that, some more shoes. But other than that, he's got everything he needs. Yeah, and it's just such a a cool thing to see from the outside, that cycle being broken. And, like, you realizing there was a cycle – and exposing Quentin to the fact there was a cycle, and not to like empower like it's, it'll create that pattern interrupt for him as well that, right. like he doesn't have to ever know that reality. Right. Like he, it, when the day comes that he has his own wife or kid, 
it's going to be different. Right. Like, man, there's just so many situations in life where if we would all just stop for a minute and become truly aware of what's happened and why it's happened. Mm-hmm. When you have that awareness, you can make a better decision. Like, it doesn't have to be this ingrained pattern that just because you didn't have right. your DNA father and your mother didn't have her DNA father in her life. Doesn't have to keep going. No. No. And, and more importantly, that's the fuel to never have it happen again. Right. I know, again, right now, Quentin happens to be back with his mother in the D.C. area. And, like, TJ shared with me that this was the first time that he hasn't been there in... Well, he's been, he's going in eighth grade, so nine plus years. That also includes his preschool days of not being there on the first day of school. Yeah, where he's still FaceTiming, he's still seeing, he's still talking, still having pictures sent back and forth, like he's doing everything he can, but... The unfortunate inevitability about the industry that TJ is currently in, it's like if you have any days off, it's like finding Bigfoot in the wild. Like it's almost impossible. Right. And sure, you get a certain number of days and it's a choice he makes. Again, I, we can go down that whole path, but at some point you also have to make a living and produce for yourself or kind of the wheels fall off the bus. And just the fact that TJ going or Quentin going to the eighth grade, that you've never – like this is the first year you haven't been there, right. but you still essentially dropped everything you could to be there – in spirit, like to make him feel important. Right. That's just, that's some deep stuff that I think a lot of people just pass right by. And I know it's part of your life. Like, so I don't know who commends you for that, but if nobody does, I want to make sure that I do. Like, thank you, sir. It's, it's good stuff to see, man, because you look at the degenerate activity that you and I would have had our <laughs> freshman year of college, which is why I want to bring that up to start this episode <laughs> versus the man that you have become now. And, the litmus test that you go through to prove what's important and the skills and mindsets you're you know instilling upon Quentin it's big time stuff like it's it's cool it's cool to see you come home and like see your sister and see your mother and just like who would have thought 15 years ago that this is where we sit yeah I, I definitely would not have uh, have imagined that you know, sitting there in our dorm room, you know, playing, you know, get rich or die, trying to level 20 and pissing everybody off and then, you know, eating a whole big pizza and then having Chipotle burrito challenges that, you know, yeah. Yeah. Chipotle burrito challenges is a real thing. So wait, I'm, <laughs> I need to clue you into that. I forgot all about that. And we talked about this yesterday. I just want to make sure I covered it. Back back when Chipotle first, I don't say first opened because it was around in the 90s, but right. we didn't see it. TJ and I were in college in 02 and 03 in the same area at Cincinnati. Right. And so University of Cincinnati had one of the first Chipotles that I knew of in Ohio. Like we certainly didn't have one in Mansfield or Columbus yet. Like it was just there. Right. And so it was before really portion control was part of their yeah. methodologies. Like you would ask for some steak. That little was like put the scooper in. It wasn't like a preset, like level yeah. flat scooper. It was like, all right, like and depend- depending on how well you knew the scooper, yeah, you were you were you were getting the hookup. And so we would have challenges to see how many burritos we could eat with how much food on them. And we ended up stopping. What two was the max, right? Yeah, Did you two, ever finish two? I, I could finish two. I couldn't go in three. Which now that I'm saying this, it makes me when we conclude this episode, I'm gonna make sure to go get a Chipotle. <laughs> I'm a, I'm, I told TJ yesterday, I, can, I know I can get through three right now. But it, I can get through three because they, they mess with the portion control yeah. now. Like, I'll, I'll get double steak and I'll still knock down three of them. All right, I'm up for a challenge. But, <laughs> Never back down. <laughs> no, but like, like to, to, I didn't mean to hijack this part of the interview from you, no. but you have, you know, 
as TJ is saying, we had loud music and these big ass pizzas and like Adriatico's is this local to Ohio type place that has deli sized pepperoni on every slice. So massive. And we get the biggest one they offer because we had these coupons that we could get for like 22 (laughs) bucks that would feed us for two or three days. And we didn't have a refrigerator to put it in. So you're eating like this lukewarm, probably not safe or sterile pizza. Yeah. (laughs) All types of bacteria or something. For sure, and especially with all the dirty shit you were doing, there's definitely bacteria all over that. <laughs> but nonetheless, like... Okay, Mom, it's not that bad, okay? Ah, uh, sure. We carried bleach on the regular. Uh. TJ was showering with bleach just to make sure he was safe. Nah, so, you know, you go through all that, and then here we are 15 years later with... I'll just call it what it is. I'll toot my own horn for a second. Like, a, I'm in a very happy, healthy marriage with a, a bonus daughter in Gianna. I have... Fortunately, thanks to you, the listener, you know, have a top 20 podcast in the nation. Like, TJ's got a successful job and an incredible young young man as a son. Like, it's like, no matter where you're at in the moment today, like, no matter how fucked up you think your life is, no matter how dark it seems, no matter how immature you might seem, there is a chance to do something better. Like, you can take enough positive actions in a long enough time period and your life can truly become unrecognizable to what it once was. Like you take the snapshot of who we were at nineteen twenty. I can even go into 21 probably. Realistically, even when you had Q, yeah. it wasn't like magically this light bulb no. switch and you're like Not the all. man all of a sudden. It's like you're still fighting that old version of you. Yeah. But over time, the old version dies. And like it's continued to die every time you've forced yourself into a new situation. Like moving from Cincinnati down to Carolina and getting into the automotive world. And then excelling up through the automotive world. That uncomfortable force growth becomes massively impactful if you allow it to be. Like that stagnation that we all like imagine on the the opposite side of that, that you and I would have just like stayed right there. Like we still know a lot of people that have unfortunately they partied and they'd enjoy that in college. Right. And they still kind of party and enjoy that now. Right. Like still on Friday and Saturday night are going out and drinking as much as they can. Right. Are still like consumed with who they're going to hook up with or what's going to go on that way trying to chase that you know that self that they once were and not fully embracing that the you know that that season is gone you have to grow and move forward in order to be a the person that you you're supposed to be yeah and it's it's just so easy so i share with you guys as far as the listeners there is literally a lesson to be learned every day if you're just open to it. Some are big, some are small. Some are like life-altering and some are seem fleeting in the moment. But there's just, like, even in just reminiscing about our past 15 years, there's three, four, five different little mini lessons that have come out of what's brought us to right now. Right. Let alone the next season of life. As I shared, I want TJ to come back here because as someone that thinks the same way that I do or someone that, like I have connections in the Columbus car industry, automotive industry, however you'd say it, that are as deep as anybody's. Like his skill set to introduce him to people so he could interview for a job would be very simple. Now, as TJ's went down his own path of spirituality and, and self evaluation, you know, he's had his own con you know, it's like contacts, connections, conversations with God or whatever his higher power would be, who is guiding him. It was originally, hey yeah, I'm gonna come back and then it was hold on. Yeah. I'm getting a different signal right now. I gotta hang out for a while. Yeah. And it was one of those things like I remember getting a text message from you after our wedding because during the wedding, I'm like, I'm pushing hard for TJ to come yeah. back to Columbus. Like, other than the fact of closing my wife on actually saying yes at the end of the aisle, the next hardest close I was doing was getting TJ to move here. And so, 
he's in. I remember him texting me like, hey, man, I got, I got to run something by you. I got I to gotta ask you a question. I got to tell you something. Or can, we, can you talk? I think it was, can you talk? And I'm literally driving in my car to the office. And so it's like instant. Like he texts me that and I call him within like six seconds. And I already know energetically, like, no, he's not asking me to talk because he's got something cool to tell me. Like, he would have just picked up the phone and called me. saying like, man, I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't move up there right now. I'm like, all right, why? Like, explain this to me. And he goes on the path of explaining, like, God told him not to or however you want to look at that. And again, I don't want to steal your thunder, but I think it's pretty close to that, right? Yeah. So um, I'd been I'd actually had been texting Ryan uh the day that all this kind of happened and um i was sitting in my i have a, a loft area in my house and uh uh woke up on a sunday morning and so you know text ryan hadn't talked to him in a couple of days just catching up hey how's everything going uh and he texts me back you know are you still coming up to ohio and in that moment i was uh yeah, I text him back. Yes, yeah, everything's uh, still set for uh, September, and uh, you know things are kind of messy right now. I kind of let somebody back into my life that uh, wasn't really sure where it was going, but you know it, it was really uh, messy at the at the moment. <clears throat> and as soon as I sent him that message, you know I was looking out the window and kind of broke down and and had a very, very real conversation with God, just asking, you know, what in the hell am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to move back to Ohio? Am I supposed to stay here? What am I supposed to do? I, I, I need all the, I need an answer because I don't know what to do at this very moment because I'm lost. And right. And, and Ryan's covered this in a, in another episode. Um, but the text message he sends me back, which is actually my home screen, my lock screen, uh, says uh clear your mind and stop listening to your fucking head <laughs> your heart has all the answers brother and that was my my first answer or first realization that when you ask God a question he's going to answer you immediately especially if your your heart's in it uh and there's a there's a lot of different uh things that happen throughout the day that further confirm that you know, I wasn't supposed to move to Ohio yet. And it ended with, you know, me having a conversation with my sister. My sister's very, I guess you would call her spiritually in tuned and very, her intuition is on point. And I told her all the things that have happened and, you know, what was going on. And she had said that, you know, when last time she was here, she felt like it wasn't my time to move back to Ohio yet. And that I need to stay down here because there's something else more that I, I'm supposed to be doing. So um, I kind of let all that process, and I think it was maybe a day or two later, I sent Ryan a message like, man, we got to talk. And I uh, kind of dropped it on him like, you know, I don't think I can move back to Ohio yet. Um, you know, there's, there's a reason why I'm down here, and, you know, I don't believe that it's my time yet. And, you know, I had a real conversation with God, and God said don't do it yet. <laughs> So uh, that's kind of the the way that all played out, you know, prior to that text message to Ryan telling him I wasn't going to uh, be moving back to Ohio uh, just yet. So, But in that, there's this part of life that I've harped on or brought up consistently over the past 150-plus episodes. 
and like part of the meditation that I go through, part of the connecting. And again, I don't, if meditation is not for you and you go to church every Sunday, I look at that as your own version of meditation. Like you're connecting to a higher power. And originally meditation for me was to shut off the noise. Like I just wanted to hear my own thoughts for once, like not have social media, not have distractions, not have kids or dogs, just like sit in the silence of my own mind. But over time that starts to, like if you do that consistently enough, it tunes you into something different. So again, it can be church, like go to church every Sunday and you're sitting in the silence of the pews listening to the pastor or preacher share his sermon with you. Like you're at least in the presence of silence other than a divine message coming to you. But through that, that message can change at a moment's notice. Like that, that higher power, if you really succumb to the fact that somebody probably knows more than you do, that message can change because of external factors you can't really see. And so, yeah, selfishly, I want TJ here because like, he's my friend and I enjoy his company and we can sit and have deep conversations as well as talking about dumbass memories and probably make some more dumbass memories if he was around. But everything happens for a reason. Like, I don't believe there are any coincidences. So there was something energetically. It's funny because this is really the weekend that TJ was supposed to move here, right. give or take, plus or minus, without a job. Like, that's super high level. But in that, it, the first night we're together, it's like he shares that with me. Like, look, I'm, I was going to move here basically right now. I'm like, yeah, but you're here anyways. Like, you might have only supposed to had a stop here. Maybe there's some sort of gift or message that will come during your time here. Like, maybe you're not supposed to actually live here. Because those messages and those divine interventions come when you're least expecting it. Like, you had a path. Like, you were ready. And then you are still ready. It's just your path is going somewhere different. And so, again, I don't want to get too preachy in this episode. It's certainly not the tone of it, but it's just so cool to see from the outside. Like, I was somebody who thought meditation or that spiritual connection was bullshit. Like, you would ask me even five years ago, I'd have been like, nah, that stuff's crazy. But yet here we are, it's like guiding. I truly believe it's guiding or allowing us, if we allow it to, help us make better decisions. I think you're absolutely right. I think if we open ourselves up to actually see the signs that are are pointing us in the right direction, uh, I think that we can make better decisions and better choices and not think that we're just floating along without any, any guiding hand. You know, I, and, and one of the stories I do want to share is it comes from your wedding, you know. So in my in my uh, preparation for coming out to Ryan's wedding, you know, I was buying my ticket. And, of course, I did it at work because that's where I live at, basically. And uh, I wasn't paying attention to when I w- my returning flight. So I fly all the way out there, and I kept getting these uh, messages from American Airlines about my returning flight. I couldn't figure out why. I wasn't really paying attention to it. I was just kind of uh, enjoying the fact that I'm in California right now. It's awesome. Uh, as soon as I get off the airplane, I smell the marijuana in the air. It's great. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I remember... Uh, if you work for Sonic, TJ would pass every drug test right <laughs> yeah. now. It's not like he was a – he was – I wasn't partaking. It's just that's what you smell when you hit California for some reason. That's Don't true. No, it's crazy. It's like Snoop was in the airport. Anyway, um, so I get off the airplane, and I remember looking down at my phone, and it's like, you're returning flights at 1 p.m. I was like, yeah, I know, Sunday, 1 p.m., we're good. So I get, uh, you know, get an Uber, get to, to the Airbnb where you're at uh, – you know, meet an amazing guy in Kevin uh, Moreland. 
and you know we kind of connect and uh we had gone out while everybody else was doing the uh you know the wedding uh rehearsals and things like that and uh it's called a rehearsal dinner jackass whatever Uh uh-huh yeah i've never married so i don't know that's fair Uh, (laughs) just popping out kids (laughs) yeah uh just one anyway that you claim (laughs) (laughs) we were uh the next next morning i get up of course because i'm four hours ahead and uh i get up and uh enjoying the beautiful rooftop view of the ocean and you know you're right up street from lax so you've seen all the airplanes going and it hits me i was like man i should probably go ahead and check in right now well since i'm not doing anything so I go in, my look at my phone, and there's no flights that are that are coming up. No trips are coming up. I'm like, there's no way. There's like this has got to be a, a mistake. I maybe I I didn't put in the confirmation right. So I look at my email, put in confirmation again. It says you have no trips coming up. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Please tell me I didn't do this. Please tell me I didn't do what I thought I did. Sure enough, I booked my flight home on the same day I got out there. So technically, I should never have left the airport, just got back on a plane and flew back to North Carolina. So I'm panicking at this point. I uh, call uh, American, and uh, at the very second I call, I'm sitting on hold, and Kevin walks up. And he's like, what's up, bro? You know, what are you doing? I was like, I messed up. I need to figure out what what I'm going to do. I booked my flight on the way back. Uh, yesterday for yesterday not tomorrow and he's like oh so you just need a flight I was like yeah that's what I'm on the phone for he's like well don't worry about it man I, you know we'll, we'll figure it out I was like man you, you're I, I don't really know Kevin but at this moment I'm thinking that this guy's crazy I was like you're you're really downplaying you know the severity of the situation so he's like hey when they tell you they can't help you just let me know and I'll and, and we'll figure it out so he's sitting on his phone. Of course, I get on. Somebody picks up finally, and they're like, "Well, we can't help you. The flight that or the ticket you got, you can't redo it. The flight's done." So I asked him, "You know, how much is a return ticket?" They're like, "Eight hundred dollars." Like, mm, I'll, I'll call you back. So uh, Kevin's sitting there. I hang up, and I have this. I just know my face is now on the floor. And he's like, so what they say? I was like, you already know what they said. And he's like, so you want an aisle seat or a window seat? And I, I have no idea what he's talking about. And he repeats it. You want an aisle seat or window seat? And then this guy is, who who again is an amazing person, has taken his flight miles that he has unlimited, like he has a million of them. And has already gone through the process of setting me up with a flight back home. So in the very moment that a guy who needed a flight home, he he runs into a guy who has unlimited amounts of flight miles in that very second. And I, in that that day, I start opening myself up to the things that are around you and all the signs that are that are pointing you in the right direction, because they're all around and they happen. And, but you have to be open to, to receive them and to notice them and to pay attention and, and take advantage and, and walk towards those signs in, those, in that direction. Uh, Needless to say, I got back home. Uh, took a little bit longer, but I got back home. So, but that, that is uh, probably one of the most amazing stories that happened with me and Ryan. Ryan wasn't really 
involved in that story, but it's because of him that, you know, I, I think that I'm more, I'm able to see certain things uh, for what, you know, for more than what they are now. Yeah. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing that story, TJ. I mean, our wedding was small. Like I think I had 32 people there, maybe 34 total. Now, as I look back, if I would have went back two and a half years, that wedding would have been 220 people. Right. But either forcibly or by the way that the world energetically lines up, that thir- that herd has been thinned where it was only phenomenal, high-quality people. And that doesn't mean massively wealthy or right. like, it just means like good energy <clears throat> people that really care about everybody else that was there. Right. That when something happens where Kevin, who's the man that, that married Lindsay and I, happens to overhear a situation that's going on, unbeknownst to me, like all of a sudden he steps in and really not saves a day because CJ certainly could have paid to get home. It's just right. who wants to spend $800 on a ticket when you don't have to, like right. especially when it was already a stretch to get out there and inconvenient and expensive. And then all of a sudden it's just like this this whole other friendship opens up. Like it's not like you and Kevin are still friends. It's yeah. not like it was a one-time deal where you guys still Definitely. chat back and forth now. And like Kevin, just a, a hell of a guy to have in your corner across every part of life. So I think that's a, a pretty solid way to, to wrap this up is just to be, you know, you never know the people that are going to come into your life for what reason. And if you're open to exploring what those reasons are and the growth you can have from people, I don't believe anybody accidentally comes into your life either. Now, there's a reason why TJ had roommates that sucked. There's a reason why I had French roommates that literally had no communication. There's a reason why I was wearing the shirt that he remembers that I still have hanging up in my closet. It's the only shirt I, I have that in my high school football jersey. Those are the only two things I have from that time in life. Like, there's these reasons that in the moment I can't say I was conscious of. But looking back, like there's all these little shifts that happen where I'm given opportunities. Like I could have said no. Like fuck you. I got my own place. Like literally who, who is a freshman has a quad by themselves. Right. But something like if I would have looked at just because you were from a rival high school, had a slightly different skin color, had a slightly different story, I could have been like, nah, I'm good. Like, And my life would have taken a completely different path. So just stay open. Like, Stay open to the possibility that it exists around you. It makes life way more enjoyable. You can cut people's fingers, <laughs> and, 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 and you can share good times on a podcast with somebody. So... In that, I, I can't even connect that really to to your to your body and and to your relationship. Just at the end of the day, stay open to everything, and you'll find out you can get shit done. <laughs>